With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Start of a fresh week of sport to come and uh, an all-black naming, of course, at midday today, an eagerly awaited naming just to see where Ian Foster, Grant Fox and co are heading the direction. Is there going to be some new... New blood on the scene, or will we just uh, have the familiar names and uh, show faith once again? We shall see. Uh, that around midday, we'll be taking that live here, by the way. Uh, just after uh, a little sermon, very shortly, we'll be talking to TJ, Tony Johnson. Very busy weekend, calling both the semi-finals. So I'll get his thoughts uh, on how they stack up. Maybe an all-black bolter or two as well. Uh, I've got a few uh, little highlights to play as well from the... Uh, the Black Caps overnight, gee, long, long day in the field and uh, prospect of another one as well uh, when they head into it tonight. We'll have talk back just after 9.30, ample opportunity for you to win a $50 chemist warehouse voucher just after 10 o'clock. We'll be talking to Courtney Tyree, of course, uh, former Silver Fern netball commentator. The Pulse are the champions, and deservedly so by that margin. Jamie Wall, Hamish Bidwell, the panel this morning at uh, 20 past 10. Uh, Vossi, Andrew Voss after 11 o'clock. And a stump smithy around about 11.30 this morning as well. Plenty to get your teeth into. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the talk of the pub yesterday, and often it is, red cards and yellow cards and how they are ruining the game and the ridiculous spectacle of referees and their assistants marching down the field as a group to study replays on big screens in cahoots with the TMO, the chairman of the board. And then, of course, the forensic examination of the evidence unfolds. Two or three minutes later, we're all left wondering where the hell the game went. Momentum is gone. Groups of players hovering around, puzzled looks aplenty, waiting for the inevitable. The reach into the pocket, and out comes the power card. Just a question of which colour. Don't start on the mitigating factors either. We could be here all morning. Honestly, it's becoming a sham, an ugly sham, a blight on the game by the people who run the game. The players have had enough, the coaches have had enough, and the fans have had it up to their eyeballs. Those eyeballs that don't turn up the way they used to or change the channel the way they now do. Head clashes are predictable and often unavoidable. Head contact without malice or intent should be looked at and treated in that manner. If you can't tell when someone has deliberately lined someone up or, or not, put your whistle away and get on with it. And if you can't do it without committee, give the job to someone who can. Maybe you could take a leaf from the other code and put players on report to be sorted out at a later date. That might assist the flow. I mean, you've stolen the 50-22 and the goal line dropout. 
The case of Pablo Montera on Friday night is a classic. Gets a yellow card because his team have repeatedly infringed. Gets a second one because of a contentious and much debated piece of contact to the head. Two yellows and a red and now a visit to the judiciary. He should be cleared to play this week. Of that, there is no doubt. See, it's Monday morning and haven't even thought about one of the great defensive efforts in the modern game at the weekend. At least that will make the whistleblowers happy. If we're talking about them, they love it. you've got a dream weekend of commentary I think Tony Johnson might have just lived it because he did both semi-finals where we were raving about the, the one on Friday night and he came up with a better one on Saturday night TJ good morning to you hello Smithy yeah mate I keep reading all these death notices about super rugby I think what we've just seen was a, an epic weekend of semi-finals I mean a, a lot of things to talk about yeah some controversy but but you know, that's just part and parcel of the game, and, and I think that's as good a semi-finals weekend as we've seen for a long time. Yeah, let's go back to Friday night. Um, it was uh, pretty horrendous, the conditions in particular, but the rugby, uh, it, it sort of put a, a lie to that because the, the standard of uh, particularly defensive play uh, from the Crusaders uh, was the talking point at the end of the night, 222 tackles to 100, uh, and a scoreless second half for the Chiefs with the conditions in their favour. Yeah, it's still, the Chiefs had chances in this game, uh, but the Crusaders, you know, for, for one reason or another, always seemed able to keep them at arm, arm's length. Firstly, yeah, it was a great defensive performance, and it's amazing how these tackle counts have gone up and up. I remember we talked about it during the game, Smithy, that night in Canberra when the, the Crusaders made just over 200 tackles, and we thought, well, that's a record that'll never be beaten. It's been eclipsed twice uh, in recent times. And, and funny, talking to the uh, Crusaders stats guys just after the game, they reckon it was more like, their reckoning was more like 230-something. So, yeah, um, good, really good defensive um, effort in a, in a brutal game. Uh, I saw some of the players uh, Saturday morning at the airport, and I could tell you that one or two of them could hardly put one foot in front of the other. Um, it was so banged up where they were. Um, but again, just it comes down to the Crusaders' ability. Firstly, um, yeah, defensively, also their ability to play the big minutes. And you look at uh, a couple of clear-cut scoring chances that the Chiefs had that they didn't take. And then later on in the game, when they were kicking for touch and they weren't getting much, you know, weren't getting very close to the goal line, um, they they just didn't take their opportunities in the same ruthless way, way that the Crusaders no. seem to be able to do. Totally agree. Totally agree. There was some, um, you know, in an, in an effort like that, you, you could probably throw a, b- a blanket over the whole defence. But uh, I thought uh, one or two players uh, stood out for me. I think we saw another side of Will Jordan's play uh, at, the, at the weekend. I mean, he'd put some terrific hits on Will Jordan. Uh, so just another confirmation of his class. Yeah, um, exactly. It wasn't really a night for his devastating running, um, but he shows that there's a lot more strings to his bow. 
Uh, two other players that stood out for me, and obviously in a <clears throat> situation like that, you know, a lot's going to depend on how your forwards go. I thought Scott Barrett played one of the best games I've ever seen him play. And the other guy that really impressed, <clears throat> maybe not quite um, as obvious, you know, you, but, but when you go back and you have a look at his stats, you'll see what an impact he had on the game. And that was Cullen Grace at number eight. And there's been, you know, talk about the need for the All Blacks to, to have a, a, a bigger, stronger, loose forward. And, you know, I, I think he put up his hand up at a, at a very good time. So, yeah, it, it was a night for those sorts of performances. And But as I say, I, I, you're right about Jordan. Uh, we saw something that maybe we hadn't taken a lot of note of in the past because we're so busy wowing over his attack. But it, you know, he, he was great. But as I say, I think the guy that led the way was the captain. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and in a losing um, a losing effort, I, I, I thought that uh, Samasoni uh, Tokuahu's work rate was very, very high. Yeah, uh, the number of times he got ball in hands, he's just hungry for it. Uh, and he, he'll be in the All Black team that's named this morning. The only question is, you know, where do they use him? Do they use him as a starter? Do they use him off the bench? But I, I just love his, his hunger. Uh, I thought, you know, Brody Retallick was another one in a big game. Uh, again, phenomenal work rate. And really encouraged by what we saw from Sam Kane when he came on. Boy, he made his presence felt out there with some absolutely, you know, bone-jarring carries and, and also hits on defence. Let's look at, um, uh, I know we don't want to reflect on it because of the quality of rugby, but we have to, um, the Pablo Matera situation. I mean, for mine anyway, um, they just throw throw that out in terms of a suspension, don't they? I think they probably will. I mean, it, it's it's a complicated thing because I think when uh, the cards start to tally up, um, I think this probably is going to face, uh, he's going to have to defend on uh, on a couple of counts here. One, the multiple yellow cards, and then, of course, the one that got him uh, yellow carded. Um, look, you can almost sort of, you can understand the, the, the yellow, um, because if, if he's consistent, then they've been yellow carding that sort of thing. I thought it was borderline to me. I, in fact, I thought at one stage he was really trying to talk himself out of the yellow card. Uh, and maybe the cop-out was that uh, a, a, a second yellow became a red. To me, it should be treated as a yellow card and not a red card. Um, and, and, and therefore, I, I think there's, a, there's a, um, a... Look, put it this way, the more I think about it, you know, the more of a chance that he should be playing or will be playing in the final than I initially thought. The, the problem with mm. Matera is that he's now, you know, he, he's a focus because he's, there have been some lapses in discipline like this, um, he's now got a, a you know a bit of a neon light above his head, and I think that, you know almost like the, it seems like the refs are looking at him a bit, a bit more closely than some of the other players. Dan McKellar, uh, Brumby's departing coach, of course, uh, going to join the Wallaby setup full time along with, uh, uh, <coughs> of course, Dave Rennie. Um, well, his sidekick for the Brumbies, of course, is Laurie Fisher. Uh, Dan McKellar. Spitting tax, uh, according to reports anyway, over the cards dished out or the, the method of the cards dished out? Yeah. Um, look, that's probably a bit of disappointment speaking there. Uh, I, I agree to an extent that it, it just you had those really messy rucks towards the end of the game where it looked like Ben O'Keefe could have found three or four reasons to blow his whistle um, and, and in, in the end just, just wave play on. The accusation made by uh, McKellar was that he wasn't prepared to make the big call. Just remember a couple of things, Smithy. Um, 
he wasn't going to blow a penalty that guaranteed the win of the... You know, if he'd blown a penalty, would it have guaranteed a win? He still had to kick the goal. Uh, let's not uh, forget about the fact that Lulosia had, had, you know, um, earlier on in the half, missed a reasonably handy conversion that in the long run proved very costly. If he'd nailed that, he, he converted the, the later try, but the earlier one that he missed, that was costly. You know, rug, rugby's decided over 80 minutes, not just what happens in, in the in the last minute. Um, look, McKellar's disappointed. I uh, can understand that. They put up a, a, a heck of a brave fight. I, I really question their ability to, to chase down a deficit uh, going into this game, that the, the, the team that really likes to control it and very, very nearly proved that wrong. It was courageous, but in the end, I still I think the right team won. Mm. And the right two teams, I, I think, are probably in the grand final this weekend, which promised to be a real uh, promises to be a real pot boiler. Uh, I look at the, the two generals who we're looking to pin our hopes on going forward in terms of the All Blacks, Moonga. Very strong the other night, uh, and of course Bowden Barrett as well. It's just as he's in prime form. Well, you, you talk about um, impressing in ways that um, we're, we're not um, accustomed to sort of looking at. Um, and Bowden Barrett, not only did he make some decisive attacking plays in the game, uh, but he also made one of the best defensive plays of the night. Um, when he took, and uh, no, I'm just trying to think who was it? Was it Muirhead? Was it Bang? I can't remember. Down the right hand corner. Um, drove a guy, not only tackled him, but drove him two or three metres into touch with, the, with his covering tackle. Uh, and that, along with, um, you know, the Tom Robinson steal at the line out close to his own line, the offer Tongafasi charge down, those were the three probably crucial moments in the game for the Blues. So, I, you know, I, I thought Barrett was superb. He, he didn't get absolutely everything right. There might have been... Uh, one, one occasion where he hesitated and when he, when he should have booted the ball downfield, took it into contact and almost got into trouble. But other than that, I, I, I thought um, just the, the sharpness of his attack and that willingness to just to change direction and, and you know, go very quickly towards traffic, looking for a hole or an inside pass or something was great. Um, to me, uh, you know, that's it, a debate that's going to go on forever and... and uh, I would say on the balance of what I've seen this season, if, if, if asked, I'd probably start. Uh, I, I would start with Barrett in the Test matches, but you just know that uh, whoever starts, with, there's a there's a very good player in that number ten jersey. There is. <clears throat> Feel pretty pretty comfortable with it, actually, to be perfectly honest. Which leads us to uh, some names around that ten jersey, which we'll hear about uh, around about uh, midday um, this morning, and uh, I look forward to that with interest. Uh, TJ Bolters. Bolters and, uh, and areas of, of real interest for you? Well, I'm not sure about whether we... Ha- we, we don't tend to have too many bolters these days. I think there are a couple of positions that are arousing a lot of comment. I think probably uh, just in terms of, you know, people who like to get on uh, social media or talkback or whatever, I think the one that's commanding a lot of attention is halfback and, and in particular uh, whether they're going to find room for TJ Pettinata um, you know, Aaron Smith, obviously, there's a bit of a, an injury concern there, but, um, you know, he, he's the number one guy, but who do they pick behind them? I like Christie uh, in, in that I think he plays the uh, the sort of game that, that the All Blacks want. He's quickly to the breakdown. His clearance is good. Uh, he's, he's a bit feisty. Uh, but then, you know, you've got Brad Weber, who's not scared to have a dart. Uh, Falal Fakatava, who, you know, has got some 
absolutely um, outrageous talent about him um, and could do with being in the squad because I think the one thing he needs to probably develop is his ability to manage a game. So, um, And then, of course, TJ Petronaro, who's, who's vastly experienced. That's one. I think they've got to find a place. I, I think they will find a place for Stephen Perofeta, um, either as you know as, as a utility, he can play 10 or 15. Roger Tuivasa-Shek uh, will be in the mix, because I'm sure, because of his... You know, he's growing rapidly in the game. I think the other guy who um, knew All Black, I think we'd be looking at is uh, Lester Whainga Anuku, uh, who's just been tremendous this year. Uh, but, you know, plenty of other question marks as well. That, that midfield is, it becomes a bit of a log jam there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating selection. It is going to be a, a fascinating selection. Um the loss of uh, Ethan Blackhead. I remember, of course, uh, and that's the other thing about that Crusaders effort the other night. They did that without Sam Whitelock and Ethan Blackhatter. Uh, so, what about the older legs? Uh, we, we talk, and I talk about the older legs. I throw, I throw uh, Sam Whitelock into that bracket. Of course, are you comfortable that um, it'll be status quo in the engine room as such? I think so. Uh, you know, they they probably might find a way to pick an extra lock. Um, because otherwise someone very good is going to miss out. Look, they, they, they won't be leaving um, Sam Whitelock out. Uh, you know, it, it just it vast experience. Um, Brody Retallick, of course, and Scott Barrett, as I say, came up with a great performance uh, on, on, on Saturday night. And it's just a question of, you know, if, if they pick four, well then, is it Vai? Is it, is it Lord? I think Vai probably um, just brings a, a bit more of a physical edge at the moment. Uh, or do they get they, you know, pick them both? Take five lots. I mean, there's 36 in the squad for a, a three-match series. Um, I, I think that'll see them through. Um, yeah, uh, the loose forwards. Are another one. Yeah, really um, sad for Ethan Blackadder, who had been the Crusaders. Well, in, in, in their minds, he'd been their best player. So uh, it just it opens a door for someone. They'll be hoping that uh, Dalton Papali'i. Um, can 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 speed his way back into the team in, into contention after his uh, uh, appendicitis um, because to me he's 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 been outstanding um, and it's just a matter of you know who who is that that big loose forward is it is it Frizzell is it Grace uh, I, you know they, they've mm. got a bit of a decision to make there and just finally uh, TJ before we uh, we let you go um, prediction for. Saturday night coming up. Um, do the have the Blues have the Blues got uh, the big game since now? I mean they they got a bit of a fright, but and the Crusaders. I mean we we only have to look at the the, the lighting pylons down there at Orange Theory Stadium to see how they, good they are at this time of the year. Uh, but it won't be down there. It's at Eden Park. So what are you thinking? No, well it's nice to know that it'll be uh, in, a, in a stadium where there might be a, at least a modicum of comfort for people watching, and I, I think that's one thing. Of just slightly going off on a tangent here, Smithy, but um, it's Saturday, a Friday night, and I felt sorry for you down there, mate. Um, you gutsed it out magnificently as always, but boy, what a reminder of just how badly let down the people of Christchurch have been, you know, by the city's administration. Uh, that stadium should have been that new stadium could have been built by now. We wouldn't even be talking about how much it's going to cost in the future. But uh, no, we go to Eden Park. Look, the Crusaders, it's just so deeply ingrained in them, isn't there? Their ability to, to win these big matches. And to me, probably their their heritage is, is what uh, gives them uh, a you know, slight favouritism 
Well, what you've got to like about the Blues this year is that they have found so many different ways to win games, uh, be it drop goals at the end, being desperate defence at the end, um, you know, or other times when they get on top and give rein to, to what is a quite lethal attack. To me, um, I don't know. I'm not sure I care who wins. Uh, I, I just hope, you know, we get it. We get a good night. There should be a huge crowd there, and we get a great occasion because it is the, the dream final that we've been talking about. With all due respect um, to the Aussies, um, to, to the Fiji Drua Moana Pacifica, I think, you know, this is the, the game that. New Zealand fans, right from the word go, wanted. It was the one we were denied a couple of years ago when everything got cut short. So, um, you know, all, all I can say is uh, the potential's there for something truly special uh, at Eden Park on Saturday night. TJ, uh, look forward to your call this Saturday night um, on Sky around uh, five past seven. It'll start, folks. Uh, so uh, Tony Johnson calling that uh, grand final. So uh, good luck to you on that big occasion, mate. I hope it's as good as the semis were. And thank you very much for your input this morning. Well, thanks very much, Matty. Welcome. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Tony Johnson there uh, from Sky Sport, of course, with his just running his uh, finger over what he saw at the weekend and what uh, he thinks will happen around about... Midday today with that to team naming. We'll be back shortly here on SENZ this morning. There is a truckload of subjects to talk about today, isn't there? What did you make of uh, the semis over the weekend? Uh, are you sick to death like me of red and yellow cards or yellow and red cards and, and deliberations which hold up the game forever, it seems, taking all the momentum out of it? Um, maybe the cricket. You want to talk about the cricket? Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the flat pitch and the fact that we didn't use Wagner. Uh, in this test match and we didn't use Patel so we didn't have those variations uh, and the other aspect of course is the naming of the All Blacks uh, around about midday, love to hear from you uh, with uh, your selection uh, your selections in the in the interesting areas, you know around the halfback area, uh, around about uh, perhaps the locking situation, the loose forward situation, the captaincy situation love to hear from uh, all of you people uh, just after the news with Araha coming up now here on SENZ Talkback Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. It is 9.33 here on SENZ and before we get to uh, Dean from Dunedin, our usual Monday morning appointment with Dino from uh, down there, uh, I can just tell you that Rory McIlroy is about to win the uh, Canadian Open, that's the latest uh, event on the PGA Tour and uh, quite ironical and quite timely actually because Rory McIlroy has probably been one of the most outspoken PGA players who has not gone to the LIV circuit uh, and uh, he's made a statement in the best possible way by winning while the other guys have defected. So uh, just a nice moment coming up for Rory McIlroy. Uh, Dean, good morning to you. Uh, busy weekend and a busy time around midday today. What are you thinking? Well, mate, I listened to your sermon this morning, and I reckon you want to give that guy Lawrence a, a phone call. I need to rate it in when he was a referee. To call Paddy O'Brien, I've dug out my old whistle, and I'm happy to go to Eden Park. And I tell you what, if it's a rugby incident, it won't even be a penalty. It'll just be play on. And if some idiot's offside and they ruck him out of it and get him out of the road, that won't be a penalty either. It'll be play on. And we might get 80 minutes of the best 30 players in New Zealand running around the rugby field. 
because it's getting ridiculous, mate. It's absolutely ridiculous. Pablo's was disgusting. That poor number seven for the Blues, that was, that's one of the worst ball carry for a headbutt because they just did everything perfectly. And one has to leave the field. It's ridiculous. And they didn't even do an HIA thing on the other guy. So mm. why don't you have a referee that's actually refereed or played rugby would probably help, that she knows what's going on and not the letter of the law. Does a referee get told off if he says, actually, I disagree. That's two guys doing what they're coached to do. Now, I'm just going to play on here. Would he get stood down or something for that? Or would he get a pat on the back and say, thank God someone's got tungsten testicles and not worried about rules in a book and is officiating what we want to watch? I couldn't believe well, there it. Was a, there was a time, uh, Dino, uh, there was a time uh, when they were really closely marked, there was at least two to three guys would, would go to a ground with pieces of paper or forms and look at referees' performance and judge them as if they're on trial the whole time. So I don't know if that process is still um, underway or whether they still do that. Uh, but certainly, you're right. Uh, I mean, it's just so frustrating. And and, uh, and if they're going to do it right, get it right. Because uh, with a uh, with a couple of them who were, they looked at HIA, they didn't even um, they didn't even send them off to get tested. They they just did not even. I mean, just carried on. It was it was quite unbelievable. Smithy, you know there'll be a process. It's like your sermon months and months ago about a meeting. That's what's stuffing society. There's no need for a process. They just simply got it wrong. The rule is ridiculous. We need to see consistent rugby. Like on the game itself, I tried to get on last week. I lost a bit of money on the old TAB. I was all over the Brumbies. They planned this three weeks ago. And Banks, I thought he was better than that. Those five-metre line-outs, they needed to be five metres, not eight. And that game changed when the first one was eight metres away. Dear Hooker got stopped an inch short, and I had that TAB option of him to score one, two, or three to try, and Brumbies to win at 17 bucks. I thought that was gold money, but it was eight metres, mm. not five, and he stopped an inch short. But more importantly, from that fiasco that happened after that, their player of the year, that Valentino, he obviously was carrying that shoulder injury, I think. I don't know how he hurt himself against the Chiefs, but he was gone, and all of a sudden they had nothing. They were struggling from that moment up front to combat the... Tom Robinson was outstanding. Why can't... He's got to play six for me for them if they want to give the Crusaders a good shake and put Romano has to start. And Akira can go to the Warriors. They can just have another guy. That, call him Tap. Hot and cold. Jeez. He does my head up. It was a golden chance for him to cement the sixth jersey for the All Blacks. Nah. Get him to the Warriors. They need another one just to turn up when it suits them. So today, uh, Dino, have you got have you got an outsider? Have you got a, a what they used to call a bolter for the All Blacks? Well, I would have if Gilbert wasn't sent off for so damn long. I think they need to invest in the future. If they're going to go with Rico for three years at centre and he's still no good there, leave him at number 11, for God's sake. Gilbert's got everything, but I think the guy too, not just because I'm from living in Dunedin, I'm not a Holland supporter at all, but... He stepped up in a full pack that isn't that bad. Like, the front row has got to be the Hollanders' props. Has to be the group Nainsley with the Chiefs lad. Let's go with baby blacks and give Ireland a fright. In another 12 months, we might surprise France because at the moment, we're not going to beat an egg. 
Mm, interesting. Okay, Dean, are the thoughts there this morning? Uh, incidentally, um, uh, Dino too, we're, we're going to John very shortly, but uh, I think Grant Fox is still in the mix in terms of uh, picking the All Blacks at the moment. Um, I, I've got a feeling Joe Smith didn't want to be involved or wasn't to, to be upfront and personal round about the Irish series for personal reasons, but I'm pretty sure um, that uh, Grant Fox still has some input into the naming of that side today. John, John from Taranaki, good morning to you. Hey, Smitty. I think Dino should be running the beehive. Running the beehive. He's, he's <laughs> brilliant. Oh, God. I, I, I imagine that. Imagine having yeah, Dino in charge of the country. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> uh, mate, what's on your mind? Uh, the referee, it's true. The pressure's on the referees now. To, like, it's, it's affecting the game. And I, I think it's affecting people not turning up to matches these days. I agree with you. I've uh, spoken to a number of people uh, since uh, Friday night, in particular, not since yesterday, uh, Saturday night, but Friday night have said they just turn, they turn the TV off, they go and watch something else, or they you know, go and do something else now, um, or they don't go. You're right. And uh, if it's because of the way it's been officiated, that's a damn shame. And it is a damn shame for the players, in particular, I feel for them. Yeah. It's... That they're coached to do the right thing and, and like the referee then just pulls out a card or they should have the like the league when are we going to have that like sort it out when the match is over and not let the play like let the game flow that is the biggest problem uh, for me it, it just stops everything just stops and, and you have this this little group of guys in the middle the centre of attention which I guess they like to be uh, walking down towards so they can get a better view of the big screen and uh, to talk about the fate of players uh, and, and, and in a number of situations, they shouldn't even have stopped the game. Uh, it's, it's quite incredible how they do that, uh, John. Uh, thank you very much yeah. for your call this morning. All Look right, forward buddy. to that, uh, all, that, that All Black uh, naming today uh, with the series against Ireland. Uh, judging by your uh, accent, you'll have a fair amount of interest in that as well. Uh, Steve from Auckland. Good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, good, good morning, Smithy. Always good to hear you on the radio, mate. Um, I, listen, as a Blues supporter, I'm, listen, I'm really rep. We've probably all got the final that we want. But I must admit, after that game, there was a bit of relief, but there was also a bit of, geez, gee, we were lucky because I, I looked at that call again, which could, which to me looked like a fair, a fair jackal and Romano was holding the ball on the ground. So I, I, I actually messaged, I'm good friends with a top Auckland referee, and I messaged him and I said, mate, would you have pulled the trigger? And he said, mate, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, that's a, that's a penalty. And I, and I know there's moments, like I had friends saying, oh, but Steve, there's moments in the game where penalties could have gone, could have gone either way. But you know what, Smithy? That was a big freaking call. And I, for me... That should have been a penalty. What, what are your thoughts? I'm the same, Steve. Here's, here's my on that take, and, and on those contentious decisions towards the end of the game. I mean, if you're going to call something in the first minute of the game, you should call it in the 80th minute of the game. That's the way I look at it. And you should have um, the wherewithal not to be worried about the situation of the game, etc., when you make those decisions. Uh, and and to be worried about the reaction of the home crowd or what have you, uh, you know, whatever decision you're going to make, you're, you're going to upset somebody. Uh, whether you know whether it be those people at the ground or those people watching on television, etc. Every time you make a decision, someone is not going to be happy about it. That's for me, Steve. Anyway, that's the that's the way I would look at it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you know, I've, 
I know a lot's been made of it, but I, I kind of agree with it, and I, I just feel that maybe the Blues actually uh, actually dodged, dodged, the, dodged the bullet. But, you know, hey, listen, it was a really good contest, and I was really mm. impressed how the Brumbies actually fought their way back. And, uh, man, if the Australian teams can improve incrementally every year, I think we've got a good competition going. I think you make a very good point there, Steve, because that's one thing that we've been searching for is is competition and and to justify the two countries being involved. I, I think, uh, to be fair, Steve, we've got that this year, haven't we? Yeah, I, th- I think we have. But if, if you recall, there was a lot of uh, naysayers at the beginning, so I think it's just coming uh, right at the moment. But I must admit, looking forward to this uh, All Black team, you almost get the get the impression there might be a couple of guys who have been in the squad that have probably already been given phone calls that they're not going to be there in, I, anymore and I, I do wonder about the likes of maybe a, a TJ Perinara or even somebody like a Dane Coles if you know what I mean although you know I still think somebody like Dane Coles with the greatest of respect to Asafa Oamua I just think Coles <clears throat> brings a little bit more a little bit more in terms of experience and at scrum time so I'd, I'd be quite gutted if if Dane Coles misses out, but I have a funny feeling guys of that ilk may just miss the bus. Steve, interesting uh, observations there. Thanks very much for your call uh, this morning. You're in the uh, in the running for the uh, Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks. And just finally, it uh, wouldn't be the same if we didn't have Zaid with, uh, to close us off. Zaid from Auckland, good morning to you, Zaid. Yeah, good morning. Great game on Saturday night. Absolutely loved it. Blues in the final. What a year. But for me, player of the season for the Blues, and he has to be in the All Blacks today. There's no other one than Stephen Perifetta. Oh, my God, that, that guy's insane. He's just been playing his socks off every week. He doesn't give up. And Tom Robinson, how gutsy was he stealing two lineouts? One about five minutes to go. But I've got one thing on the ref, mate. Advantage doesn't last three hours, does it? When the Brumbies get the ball, he keeps on giving them advantage, mate. He's trying to give the, trying to give the game away to the Brumbies as well. What? Well, advantage, that's what annoys me with rugby. How long does advantage need to last, mate? About two hours. What, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Man, oh, how long look, does advantage oh, the, last? Advantage is, is like, um, what they used to say, well, how, how long's a piece of string or whatever, you know I mean? Uh, it's just, uh, it, it is crazy, Zade. It's a really good observation and... and I mean, I think they should just change it to delay because that's effectively what it is. Advantage is just a delay, delay for the for whoever. But um, Zaid, so, uh, you got a prediction? Blues, obviously, yeah. Put in. Blues, blues this weekend, obviously for you. Oh no, no other blues eye patch all day. No, no other, no other Smitty. And um, my bolster for the All Blacks today, Mark Salia. Mark Talia and the group of uh, back free players who we've got so many. Zaid, an interesting one. If uh, Mark Talia gets in that group, I'm going to be saying you've got inside information that we haven't got. Thanks very much for your call this morning, mate. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. Yes, Rory McIlroy just won the Canadian Open by two shots. Played some brilliant golf down the stretch. Shot 62 today. It uh, is time for a wee break. When we come back, uh, I've got a number of texts to read out and a multi before 10 o'clock. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Rory, on a week where you have emphasized how important it is for you to play against the world's best, what does this win in this scene mean to you? Yeah, it's um, it's incredible. Uh, you know, playing with Tony and JT today, two of the top players in the world, and I'm, all of us playing the way we did. I mean, I think the worst score of the group was whatever six under par. Um, yeah, this is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, 21st PGA Tour win, uh, one more than someone else. Uh, that gave me a little bit of extra incentive today, and I'm um, happy to get it done. Who's the someone else? Greg Norman, someone else. That's why I took so much joy in that. You could hear the crowd in the background. I, admittedly, that's the only uh, PGA event that they have in Canada as such. Uh, a lot of Canadians uh, singing and chanting in the background there, but it uh, was a really good statement for those uh, who um, uh, stayed with the conventional PGA Tour as opposed to jumping the fence. Uh, a really good week of golf, actually, all around the place. So, um, yeah, I thought McElroy's comment's quite cool there, really quite cool. Uh, John's given us a really pertinent text here. He said, I wish I could watch the final next week, but I can't. Rugby is now a soft sport, which is slowly being killed by the pathetic decisions, which were clearly just rugby. You play the game knowing you might get hurt. I'm a league man now, and I'm sad that my game is now not the game I used to play. John, very good text. Appreciate that. Dave has come in uh, and said, Hey, Smithy, the officiating just takes so much away from the game. The Brumbies played well, but they can't get the respect they deserve when the ref controlled the game so much. At least the Blues got there. Uh, just uh, text after text, actually, uh, along the same lines about the officiating. It's a crusader tactic to give away penalties and yellow cards in the red zone rather than giving away tries. A braver, more competent ref should have yellow carded more crusaders. But we, Chiefs, were tactically naive and keeping on going for the lineouts and scrums rather than kicking easy penalties and, of course, missing three certain tries. Go the Blues. That's from Chris, who's uh, anything but a Crusaders fan by the sounds of it. So, so uh, really uh, echoing the, the thoughts of a lot of people there. But uh, thank you very much for those texts. More to come in the next hour or so. 9.53. Alaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, we got one up uh, over the weekend. Um, it was a Celtics Braves Andy Murray one uh, that came to fruition at 3.64 and I'm pretty confident about today's one as well. It incorporates Monday Night League. Uh, we don't see that very often these days, do we? But the Eels are playing the Bulldogs tonight, so I've taken the Eels with a minus 15.5 barrier against them. Okay, okay so they've got to win by 16 plus. Uh, that's at $1.90, I think they will. The LA Angels are playing the New York Mets today and uh, the MLB... The Angels to win that one at $1.78. And, of course, we're not far away from Wimbledon, so there's a lot of grass-court tennis being played around England at this stage in the build-up. And tonight, uh, Australian Aya Tomlinovic will beat uh, Martik, uh, and I think she'll win that uh, quite comfortably first-round match at $1.61. So that is uh, $5.44 for that uh, particular multi, three-prong multi. We shall uh, be talking netball straight after the 10 o'clock news uh, with Courtney Tyree. Of course, the Pulse are the absolute uh, standout champions this year, knocking over uh, the Northern Stars 56-37. And halfway through the season, 
probably wouldn't have thought that would be the case. We thought it would be Northern domination. Not so. Courtney next. But now it's Araha with the news. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.04 here on SENZ and yes, uh, the final moments of that match the other night which confirmed that the Central Pulse uh, were completing an incredible turnaround in a challenging season of ANZ Premiership Netball because of COVID disrupting both squads and schedules, make-up games, etc. Through it all out, they are the shining light. 56-37 over the Northern Stars after leading 15-6 in the first quarter. Never really let the, the Stars back into the game. Joining us now to, to reflect on the season uh, is Courtney Tyree, of course, uh, former Silver Fern, now netball commentator. Courtney, good morning to you. And I would imagine that uh, Pulse uh, coach Yvonne McCausland jury will be waking up a very happy lady this morning. Good morning, Cindy. Yes, she's waking up very happy, as are all the Pulse girls. Uh, they were just on fire last night, and they just, the stars didn't have an answer for them. And Yvette, she's a mastermind, so... You know, a lot of people were backing the stars on their momentum heading into the grand final, but I thought of that would outsmart them and outplay them. Wasn't that long ago we were actually talking about the Mystics winning the whole deal, so that, that <laughs> effort sort of compounded, compounded a wee bit, didn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, it did, and they got hit with a second bout of COVID at, uh, I guess, not the best time, and then their big their shooter and Grace and Wicky went down. So, you know, you got to feel for teams, but we did say it's, it was a crazy season. It was going to be survival of the fittest and who had the depth in their team to last the season. And it really did come down to the pulse. And they have the youngest team uh, in the competition. So it's a big nod to them and also a big nod to a vet. So often, Courtney, we look at statistics and we talk about the success at the shooting end. But one of the reasons the pulse have been so successful is uh, they've been a very good defensive unit. Oh, last night, the Stars had no answers for them, especially when you think a lot of those girls who play for the Stars are Silver Ferns, have played in pinnacle events. And so, tell you what, the work of Kelly Drury, she should make the Silver Ferns, uh, no doubt about that. She was unreal last night also with Christiana, Manua, Maddie Gordon, the work out the front of their midcourt. The Stars were going lateral and backwards in the first quarter and they just could not penetrate forward because the Pulse defence was just too good last night. Alia Dunn, of course, uh, was outstanding as well once they got it down to the attacking side of things, got it in her hands. It was pretty much a done deal, 44 from 47. Yeah, I've been really impressive, Alia. She's actually the most accurate shooter in the ANZ Premiership the last four years in a row. And so we would all love to see her in the black dress. She hasn't been there before. Um, and I think she really put her hand up last night for that. And, you know, she is incredible. They're all still so young, this pole side. So it's scary to think if they can hold on to majority of their players, 
what they'll be like in the future. Like all squads, they had to dig deep. They had to go outside squads. They had to get uh, people coming back uh, out of retirement, etc. Um, and the Pulse uh, managed to do that with uh, Erikana Pedersen as well. How crucial was her comeback uh, to the, the team? Honestly, for some of us there at the game last night, she was our MVP, if not close enough to Kelly Jury, who got the MVP last night. So Erikana, she retired at the end of last season. She played for the Tactics and then... The Pulse lost two players in uh, pre-season, so they needed someone to step up. And so Erikana, she answered their calls. She moved from Auckland to Wellington for the season, just thinking she was going to fill in here and there. And then she became, honestly, their shining light. She was their centre all season. When she went off during the season and they put other people in centre, they weren't as strong. And just to see her last night, she was so happy her family was there. We said, Kana, you're playing your best netball. We, you need to keep going. She was like, I want to go out on a high. I said I was done last year. I said, exactly. And now, look, you've won a premiership. You could go again. Whether she will or not, I don't know. But I think it was her best season. And I think one of the best times for the Pulse. Okay, so going into the final, the Stars had a 2-1 uh, win winning record over the Pulse. Uh, was it a case of uh, them just being out uh, outthought, uh, outclassed last night? I mean, or, or, or was it, were they disappointed in their performance, do you think, as they reflect this morning? Oh, yeah, they were very disappointed um, last night when we went in match. Because obviously you're friends with all these players. You've played with a lot of them. But for me, on Wednesday night, we did wonder, did they play their grand final on Wednesday against the Mystics to get into the grand final? I didn't think they did. They played very well. They had won seven on the trot heading into the grand final. But I knew in the back of my mind, Yvette was sitting at home and she was just picking apart their game. And then when I spoke to Yvette yesterday, she said, oh, don't worry, I have made them go through every scenario, the Pulse girl. She made them plan for double overtime. So she had thought of everything. She'd, she'd worked out the Stars game plan and just broke it down. And you could see that in that first quarter when they were up by 15-6, which is unheard of. I mean, the Stars should have had at least 12 goals, um, but they just couldn't get the ball in. And so I think they were outsmarted, outwitted, and just, you know, she just broke down their game plan and they didn't have the answers. The Stars had a short turnaround, but they had done enough, I think, to... Uh, take it to the pulse and put up a better performance than that. And like you said, they'd beat them twice in the year. So they knew what to do against them. Unfortunately, they just didn't put it out on court in the biggest game of the year. Pulse finished fifth last year. Uh, This is an incredible turnaround. And and now, as you mentioned before, the squad is basically very young. Uh, Are we looking now at uh, a possible real dynasty? I mean, they're already the most successful side. Well, they are, and I think we you, we are looking at a real dynasty as long as they can keep the core group of their players and also keep uh, a bit on his coach. He's signed on again for next year. Funny enough, in the last six years of the ANZ Premiership, the only time the Pulse haven't been in the grand final is when a vet wasn't the coach, and that was last year. So it's crazy to think she comes straight back in and takes a team, like you said, from fifth all the way to winning a Premiership, and she's one of those coaches that, she builds a team culture. She gets the best out of her players, and players will follow her into battle. She said, you know, when I was making them do port shuttles in grand final week, they're like, Yvette, do you know we have a grand final this weekend? She said, trust me, trust me, this is going to get us there. 
And that's, I think she's got that trust from her players. They will do and listen to her, as she says, and they know that she has got, I guess, the right game plan uh, heading into all these big matches. Uh, tell us a wee bit about uh, the atmosphere, uh, Courtney. You know, as you said, you were lucky enough to be there. Uh, we went, uh, most of us that watched it on television, etc. But there were some wonderful scenes afterwards with Harkers and Waiatas, etc. Really healthy. Yeah, it was beautiful. And they had a sold-out crowd. They actually sold the stadium out as soon as the Pulse made the grand final. I think all the tickets sold out within that first hour of them going on sale. So we knew it was going to be a big crowd and they would have that home crowd advantage. The Stars did have a whole section of their Purple Army. So as soon as you got to the stadium, you could just feel that energy and that vibe. And then obviously the Stars had a disciplined uh, performance. But then at the end, you know, they performed their haka to to their crowd. And I, it was really quite beautiful and moving. And then the Pulse did theirs as well. So it was just Overall, it was just such a beautiful day, I think, for netball and for women in sport. And the other thing it's of interest too is it's always a good competition that leaves you hanging and wanting more, which brings to the possibility of perhaps taking on the Australian champions in a three-match series or five-match series. What about that for a finale? Yeah, look, we would love that, and we speak about it on Inside Netball on our Sky Sport uh, podcast, our netball show, we would love to see that. I mean, could you imagine, I know they do it in rugby league overseas and rugby, like imagine seeing like our Pulse girls take on the winners of the Australian Netball League. I think it would be great. I think think ticket sales would be through the roof and also great exposure for these players because we do lose that. They only get to play Australia a couple of times a year. So... I would love to see it. We're pushing for it. Whether or not it will happen, we don't know. But even for, you know, three matches to go against the best in Australia, I think it, that's a great idea. And it'd be also very interesting to for the likes of uh, Dame Nolene Taurora, of course, to to look at New Zealand netballers against Australian ones, not international sides, but they're still pretty much the cream of the crop. So uh, I, I can't I can't really see a downside to it. No, neither. And I know, like, um, some of our players could go and make it over in Australia if they did shift over there, but it's, it's that uncertainty of how well a lot of them would actually go or would they step up in those big occasions. And I think Dame Knowles would be all for it because we know she coached over there. She coached the Sunshine Lightning. Uh, and also a lot of a few players have come from Australia over here. And the Australian Diamonds coach, Stacey Marinkovic, she was here last week watching all the matches in the stands of our ANZ Premiership. So she's come over to keep an eye on what's going on over here. We've had the English coaches out here watching as well. So, you know, I think that would be great for everyone to be able to see, you know, the best New Zealand side and the best Australian side go up against each other and just see where we're at. Well, Courtney, the next thing uh, that's uh, on the agenda, of course, is the naming of the 12-player squad for the Commonwealth Games. That will be announced uh, later this month, uh, June 27th. So we're looking about a fortnight away from today. Um, OK, let, let's look at the possibilities of any surprises in that squad or, or disappointed players who will be unlucky. Yeah, I look, I would like Kate Heffernan from the Steel. I think she might be a bolter. She's a very good... A mid-court player, and I think for the Ferns heading to the Com games, they're going to need a very defensive side, especially uh, players that can turn ball over in the mid-court, which I think is Kate Heffernan and Maddie Gordon. So I'd love to see 
them in there. Um, there's going to be some disappointed players because, you know, there's about three people putting their hand up for one goal defence position, I would say. And I think Phoenix Kardika, she could be there. She's won a World Cup. But then you've got players like Ellie Temu and Christiana Manua who played last night who are the informed goal defence players at the moment. So there's going to be some heartbreak there, I think. And then if you go down the shooting end, I mean, they're going to take Grayson Wecky, I believe. But do you take Ali Adan or Maya Wilson? One of them is going to miss out or both of them are going to miss out. And then you, and both of them played in the grand final last night. So... I don't think there'll be many surprises, maybe one or two bolters, but I think there will be quite a bit of heartbreak. So in terms of uh, medal chances as such, you'd have to think we're going to come home with something uh, around there next to the girls, but uh, I just wonder what what, uh, what type it's going to be. How confident are you? Yeah, it's a tough one. So before I spoke to uh, Deborah Knowles, I... My confidence levels weren't too high just because of the crazy season that we've had with A and Z. But they, once I spoke to them, they were convinced that once they can get their goal together, that's where the magic happens because they know some players aren't quite where they need to be. If you look at Miller and Ekinafio, who's coming back from having a baby, you've got players coming back from injury. So they've even said, that, this was a few weeks ago, some players aren't where they need to be, but they still had eight weeks until that first match. And they, they believe that they can when they get their group together the magic can happen so I am more convinced now after talking to them um, and so pretty much our big thing is if we can beat England in the pool game then we will face Jamaica to get into the gold medal match so as long as we can beat England then I, we're guaranteed a gold or a silver I believe if we lose to England then we then have to go and play Australia to try and get into mm. the gold medal match so for me if we can beat England First up, then we'll be away in Hissing, I think. So that, that'll be the biggest challenge uh, for the Ferns once they get to Birmingham. Courtney Tyree, thank you so much for your review of the ANZ Premiership season and the final in particular, and looking forward to the naming of that Silver Ferns team. So much uh, appreciate your time this morning. Courtney, have a great day. Thanks for being Cheers. Uh, catch up soon, hopefully. It's 10.17 here on SENZ. We've got a panel coming up very shortly. A very interesting one indeed, comprising of Jamie Wall and Hamish Bidwell. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Experienced journalists with us this morning in Hamish Bidwell and Jamie Wall and uh, plenty to talk about this morning, gentlemen. Uh, Jamie, if I can begin with you, please. uh, The two Super Rugby semi-finals, uh, I think they lived up to expectations. They were both quite gripping, weren't they? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning, Hamish. Um, Yeah, yeah, they were uh, pretty tight, uh, tense encounters. Uh, I thought that... um, Definitely the game on Friday night uh, was, was, uh, probably didn't go the way that we, we, we thought it was going, but it was still a, a pretty good watch. Um, a lot's been made of the fact that the, the Crusaders made, what was it, 200, 300 tackles or whatever it was. But I, I have to be honest, I have to be honest. Uh, there's, there's one, it's one thing to play hard defence. It's another thing to play against a team that gets in the 22 and then completely craps their pants uh, because they don't know what to do. 
Uh, like clearly the Chiefs had gone in with the mindset of we're just going to play the same way we've played all year because it's worked for us. But really, if you start getting kickable penalties in a semi-final and the other team's kicking them, you kick those points. Uh, and and then and you don't try and go to the line and throw these like wide passes that were just getting picked off uh, by the Crusaders. Uh, like the Chiefs, I, I think probably beat themselves more than the Crusaders beat them on Friday. And it was, it was really sad to see because you know Brad Weber absolutely played his heart out, played his heart out all season to be honest. Um, was almost in tears at the end because he knew that they'd literally thrown that game away. Uh, they had a great chance to win um, win that game and, and kind of blow it, but. You know, what it does mean is that we've got the final that we've all been talking about for the last, like, few months now. Like, I remember, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this every time I've been on your show, Smithy, that we want a Blues Crusaders final at Eden Park, and we've got it. And that was through, you know, another very tense game on the Saturday night. Um, I personally think the Blues deserve to win that game. Um, uh, you know, the Brumbies just didn't actually start playing rugby until about the 50-minute mark, and their coach afterwards, Dan McKellar, uh, admitted that. Um, he also had an absolutely massive spray at the rules and refereeing, um, which was great uh, because it was just awesome to see a passionate, animated coach just rip into what he what he thought about um, after the game. Yes, he, there, there are some fair complaints there, but like I said, I think that the the right team won um, that game. Um, however, uh, you know, it's it's yet another game uh, where the Blues have taken it right down to the wire and 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 won it on the on the last play. I think it's the third game out of their last five that they've they've done that. Um, so going into a final, if it comes down to a very tense situation in which one team needs to score and the other team needs to defend, um, the Blues have got that experience uh, in the back pocket, which is interesting because you think that uh, in that situation you'd be backing the Crusaders, but it's the Blues who are the, are the team um, that have got that. Uh, got that experience in their back pocket there. So, you know, really, really interesting final coming up um, and hopefully a big crowd shows. Uh, I'm pretty sure it will. Uh, I'd be very, very uh, disappointed and surprised if it wasn't very, very chocker. Uh, Eden Park at the weekend. Hamish Bidville, you've uh, known for a lot of your opinion pieces, uh, very fine ones at that. Um, do you have do you have an opinion on the officiating in the game in general? Was it, was it just uh, that... Uh, over the weekend that um, perhaps it attracted more attention than normal or not? Well, I isolate the Blues game. I felt towards the end there, I was watching um, Golden Point in an NRL game where a referee puts a whistle in the pocket and hopes desperately that nothing too egregious happens or that the players can sort it out themselves without them having to be in the hot mm. seat and have to make a decision that may be unpopular with people. Um, I felt the yeah. Brumbies were... Hard done by there. I felt that if the boot were on the other foot and the Blues were in Canberra and an Australian referee uh, didn't come to the party, as it were, um, we'd be outraged. So it's easy to say, oh, it's the competition, it's the final the competition wanted and these are the two best teams and all that kind of carry on and the validity of that. But I thought on the day, uh, the Brumbies were hardly done by and we'd be furious if it happened uh, to our New Zealand team. Crusaders' defensive effort, um, and I take Jamie's point too, they were a little bit inept in terms of their finishing, the Chiefs. So what did you make of that that performance Friday night? That's the Crusaders' model. They give you the ball, they back their defence, they wait for you to make errors, and whether that's an infringement that they kick the points or whether that's a turnover that they gain and, and, and run back the other, other end of the field and try and score, that's that's the model. And nothing, not a lot will change there. Um, in terms of the final, I think... The Blues have a great advantage with their propping rotation. Um, and you can see, you know, the luxury that's given Barrett. He's a reborn player, isn't he? Away from 
playing with mm-hmm. PJ away from being behind a failing pack. He looked in total command. And so, you know, with four blocks props and, and Barrett and sublime form, it's an intriguing matchup. Um, the Crusaders, I assume, as they always do, will give them the ball and then back themselves to try and defend. But with Barrett and Yuani, among others, uh, in the back line there, it's going to be um, an interesting tactic and it'll be um, an intriguing battle. Hamish, I know you love your cricket, um, and if you love your batting, then you would have been loving this test match uh, in England, of course, uh, New Zealand 550-odd, uh, England 473 for five in reply, with Joe Root still there, 163. It's obviously quite flat, but uh, did we give ourselves every chance with our bowling lineup? I'd have played Wagner. Um, dry pitch, not a lot doing. Matt Henry is a fine bowler, but he relies on conditions that, you know, that do a bit. Um, I find batting games like this a bit of a bore, I have to be honest about that. Um, I like to see the ball slightly in the defendant in test cricket. Um, yeah, I'd have picked Wagner. I probably would have thought about Patel too. I, he's a really curious case, isn't he? I mean, I just think our captains are loath to play him. And then when they do pick him, they don't really know how to use him or even want to use him. So uh, I think we're lacking a bit of variety there. Wagner could, he could go short or even just exploit a bit of up and down bounce. And yeah, in a frontline spinner, I think they'd have been handy. I mean, it's a hard game. It's flat. You've got to take every chance. New Zealand haven't taken every chance. And, and in that case, you know, you're staring down the barrel a bit. But hopefully it does turn out to be a draw. I'd hate New Zealand to sort of collapse and, you know, make a game of it for England. But uh, yeah, they got, they'll go to Headingley and everything to play for, hopefully. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, what's going to happen, without doubt. Uh, I, I worry I worry a wee bit for Patel as well. And, and Jamie, I mean... Um, you know, his second last performance for us, what was 10 wickets and an innings and his last performance for us, two overs, none for 22. I hope uh, uh, that isn't it for him on that basis. Yeah, well, it would be the end of a pretty unique story uh, if, it, if it was. Um, I mean, one thing I will say about this test is I wish I got to play on a pitch like this when I was um, opening the batting because <laughs> it looks like there's plenty, plenty of run for it. Um, uh, yeah, I have to agree with um, with Hamish. Uh, probably needed uh, Wagner in there just for his um, ability to probably just grab the game by the scruff of the neck um, and take, you know, just get, go on a bit of a run and, 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 and sort of rip the heart out of the, the order there. But yeah, it's. Um, I, I think you're right. They, they are probably still looking towards uh, the next test and, and, and hopefully a bit more of a juicy pitch for... To, that could get a result because I'm yeah, pretty sure this one's heading for a draw the way that um, the New Zealand top order, and especially Daryl Mitchell and Tom Blundell um, are batting in really, really good form. So, I mean, that, that's the one good thing that they've managed to uh, sort of get out of this tour so far is that those guys are in some, uh, you know, really good really good form. Um, and Mitchell looks like he's, you know, really cementing his place uh, as, a, as an important member of, the, of that, that top order. But yeah, but back to Patel, I mean... You know, it's uh, I guess it's the, like the Hollywood story in reverse, isn't it? Like he's gone from um, taking team workers and earnings to being, like you said, a guy that they don't even know how to use anymore. So yeah, but be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I I, I fear for it a wee bit. To be fair, that as uh, Hamish pointed out, the uh, the confidence in playing spinners through our captains over the years has been just a little bit daunting at times and worrying. So it's a ten thirty one here on SENZ. Hamish Bidwell with us this morning, as is Jamie Wall. We'll be back very shortly with uh, perhaps a look at uh, the Warriors, uh, some golf, uh, two tournaments, uh, big tournaments played over the weekend uh, with interesting results as well. And, uh, of course, the Black Ferns uh, on on show yesterday and another pretty good performance, shutting out Canada 28-0. Back shortly. 
talk, big opinions, the panel. Hamish Bidwell with us this morning and Jamie Wall, of course, uh, as well. And Jamie, uh, 90 minutes away, roughly 90 minutes away from Ian Foster revealing all to us. What are you expecting? Uh, well, I think that if there are going to be any bolters in this team, they can't really be called bolters because every every player in contention has been so, so well signposted um, so much um, throughout this year that I, I don't think there's you could really call it too much of a surprise. Like if uh, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck or Stephen Perifeta make it in, like we've been talking about that for for weeks now. So um, I think the biggest issue I have with this squad naming is that they're even doing it all at all. We've just we opened the show with the big chat about uh, what should be a really really important Super Rugby Pacific final, and it's and it's an inaugural year. Um, in front of you know a sellout crowd at Eden Park, and if I was New Zealand rugby, that's what I'd be focusing on this week. Um, not this. Uh, they can have training camps. Um, they could name perhaps um, the squad that doesn't include the Blues or Crusaders uh, players because they're not available anyway. Like I said, like if, if RTS and Stephen Perifer to make it, like those are the guys we want to talk to, and we can't because they're not going to be there today. Um, uh, and I, I think that they've just really kind of missed a trick that the All Blacks have kind of lumbered into a week where they really aren't necessary. Um, you have uh, a new cycle that should be all about this game on Saturday night because uh, if you have some guys that don't get named um, or do get named, it's going to affect the, the, their motivations um, for the rest of the week. And I just... I just can't get it from my head why why they would have would have done this. Like, I, yeah, I get it. They've got three weeks to prepare for the for the Irish series and everything. But it's just like, geez, Foster, just take a back seat. Uh, we don't really need to hear about this right now. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously, there's there's the usual question marks over kind of irrelevant spots like this third halfback or third hooker. Uh, you know, does it does it really matter? Um, uh, I think that uh, you know, there's going to be a couple of guys who are going to established players who are going to probably miss out. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, like, I, I want to deal with this next week. Um, I, uh, there's, there's bigger mm. things happening this week, right, in my opinion. Interesting perspective, uh, Jamie Wall there. Uh, Hamish Bidwell, um, do you concur with that? And uh, what do you, you make of uh, any likely inclusions that might surprise? Well, we obsess over people who are largely irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like Jamie alluded to it, you know, guys who are going to be second, third stringers, not going to play a lot. Oh, gee, you know, it's a bit of a nothing. You know I mean? I wouldn't pick Toy Sheck. I wouldn't pick Perifeta. I think they've been flattered by being in a good team. I haven't seen anything from Toy Sheck. Let alone a mouse skater, which he's going to have to whack in when he's in a really pick him. Um, to suggest that he's a test quality midfield back. Perifet is a poor man, Stamien McKenzie. I know McKenzie's ineligible at the moment, but I just think we're handing caps away to blokes like that, you know. We're really putting, becoming pretty frivolous. Um, but again, you know, that's, he's, they're fringe guys. They won't start tests of consequence that I can see or not, you know, start in these games against Ireland. So, you know, it's a bit of a distraction. Do I care? Not really. Do you know what I mean? I, I just like we're contributing to it now, but... I sort of have an attitude of wake me up when something happens. You know, when there's a game on and we can talk about an actual game, I'll be fascinated. But, you know, the naming of a squad, it's a PR performance and we talk about how wonderful it is and the challenges of the tough decisions and all that. But, you know, let's get out there and play the game. Uh, stay with you uh, if I can, Hamish. It's not uh, England and it's not France, uh, but the uh, Black Ferns under Wayne Smith are 2-0. and 
uh, with a shutout against Canada yesterday. So I guess we could say, um, hard to get a gauge, but a, a promising start anyway. I think you summed it up perfectly, Ian. It's not England, it's not France. Um, they're the teams that, that, that you know, made New Zealand really second-rate, set-piece-wise, um, certainly among the forwards in general. Um, these games are, you know, they're nice. I think we all assume the team will be better under Wayne Smith. It's nice that they have a smile on their face and they're scoring some OK tries, but it tells us nothing. Those are the games that will reveal all about this team and they've got a lot of work to do because they were thoroughly outplayed last year. Stacey Jones in charge of the Warriors. Uh, Jamie Wall, we haven't even mentioned league this morning. It's been pretty much rugby dominated, but <clears throat> Stacey Jones, yeah, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, definitely a case of um, same... SHIT, different day to be honest um, I, I will say one thing about last night's game, it was an per- absolute perfect time slot for the Warriors because um, once they started playing like rubbish you could just go to bed um, and not have to put yourself through the remaining hour or so of, of, of what they were dishing up um, I, I wasn't expecting them to do any miracles, yeah they, I mean, they, they looked okay in the, in the first 10 minutes, but so they should uh, with the, the sort of players that they've got. Um, good for Reese Walsh uh, getting out there and having a reasonably decent game in front of, I guess, the fans that he's going, he's no doubt going to be playing in front of um, for Recliffe when he eventually signs for them. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, sort of running out of things to say uh, with them. I mean, it's, uh, I, I guess things will start to get a little bit more interesting when they come back and play at Mount Smart. And, you know, they're back over here and there's going to be a bit of a reconnection there. Like, that is going to be an interesting thing, a bit of emotion there. But until then, I kind of feel like they've already clocked off (laughs) for 2022. Uh, And feel for Stacey Jones. Mm. You know, he didn't put himself in this position. Um, uh, The good thing about it is no one's really expecting anything um, out of him. He's not regarded as, like, a master coach or a saviour or anything like that. He's just a club legend who's just sort of pitching in and doing his bit, which is, sort of says a lot um, about uh, about who he is and and what he's about. But uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to be making the playoffs, so um, at least the pressure's off him, and he's going to come out of this not looking uh, like every other Warriors coach um, in the last decade or so. Uh, Hamish, uh, I, I'd like to move to golf if I could, because um, we've got two rival sort of tours going on at the same time here, and a first LIV golf tournament over the weekend. Charles Swartzel from South Africa going wider, wider, win four million bucks. Massive paycheck, of course. This morning, uh, Rory McIlroy uh, winning the Canadian Open on the legitimate PGA Tour. I don't know if the legitimate's the right word, actually, but the PGA Tour. Uh, what have you made of all this and, and all, all the circus surrounding Greg Norman? I mean, you've been around a while, um, and Greg Norman used to be regarded as a great golfer. How are we regarding him now? Uh, not well, but his reputation was enhanced immeasurably this morning by uh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan, who then saw his piece to camera with uh, Jim Nance on, on this Sky coverage this morning for CBS. Um, shrill, uh, pathetic, dictatorial, uh, embarrassing, really, was how I would describe Monaghan, and I can see how players would get the pip with him. Um, sports washing, really complicated issue. Uh, seems to be a, a ground sort of opinion that golfers are, you know, the dregs of humanity by taking the Saudi money. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And, and the world's ties to Saudi Arabia are a lot more widespread than just a few golfers taking a bit of money. Um, 
far out. It's a really polarising issue, and it's one that the PGA Tour didn't help themselves with this morning with Monaghan's performance. Um, it, it confirmed why players want to go, why they feel dissatisfied with the product and the, uh, the way they're treated by their governing body. Um, I think it would potentially lead to more guys wanting to join the Live Tour. I don't know if I like the Live Tour, but I, I think golf's at a time where it needs a bit of a shake-up, and this is it, and where it shakes down in a couple of years' time, I'm fascinated to see, but I think things are probably going to get a bit uh, difficult for the PGA Tour in the next few months, and, um, and and we'll probably reach a compromise and maybe end up with, with one tour down the track, but in the meantime, we have two tours. I think the Live Tour is going to expand in, in, in terms of its calibre of player, um, mm. and yeah, there's a lot of money, isn't there? There's a hell of a lot of money, uh, Jamie Wall, and at the end of the day, um, if you're in the business of making it, which professional golfers are, uh, it's got to be appealing, and, and uh, it's, I, I, the thing for me that has been so interesting is, is the, uh, the focus on Greg Norman himself. I've got no idea what they're paying him, but it will be squillions and squillions of dollars for him to, to front up as aggressively as, as he has. How do, you, how do you look at uh, this, particular, this particular scenario with golf at the moment? Well, I think it goes much wider than golf. I think this is just a, a conversation about um, just natural human nature, uh, uh, you know, and it comes down to the fact that every man has his price, um, you know, and I'm no exception. Um, I've just spent five minutes begging the All Blacks for naming their team on Monday, and I'm about to go down there and make some money off uh, filming it. So um, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's if you dump in, uh, uh, enough cash on someone's driveway, they'll do They'll play, they'll say what you want. Um, to me, though, I'm surprised it's got this far. I thought it was going to go the way of the, the old um, European Super League that happened in, in football. Um, but, of course, you know, golf has a far different, I, I guess, um, support base than that and it's probably a bit more uh, understanding of, um, you know, the amount of money um, going around. Um, but like, like Hamer said, I mean... You know, it's a it's a really complicated issue um, in terms of like why people would be opposed to it. There's very good reasons to say that this is that is wrong um, where the money's coming from. There's also some compelling reasons to go hold up. Well, if you're going to be angry at this, then there's all of these things as well. Um, so I don't. I think it's being boiled down to a very binary um, uh, conversation when it's actually quite a bit quite a grey area. Um, but like I said before, it's just it, what it really is about. It's about money. And um, I think that, you know, it is in the PGA's best interest to probably not dig their heels in um, so much because this isn't going away. You can't just push that much money off the table uh, that easily. Um, so, yeah, like, like Hamish said, it's going to be fascinating to see what, see what happens with this and see what other players, I guess, cross the, um, cross the line and go over go over to it because I think that once you get uh, a big name because if it's one thing that you know as a casual golf fan that's one thing I've, I've thought about the live tour is like I'm not really seeing the guys that I know I would normally hear about on the on the on the bulletins and and uh, and see on the highlights uh, that I, I personally would watch but once you start getting those big names that you know the average sports fan recognizes then you've got then you've got a problem um, for the PGA mm. so they might as well try and front foot it and try and start that that conversation about how we how they can work together, perhaps to re, uh, resolve this whole thing.
Okay, Jamie Wall been with us this morning as uh, as Hamish Bidwell. Uh, Thank you very much, gentlemen, and we'll have another one uh, panel at the same time tomorrow morning. It is 10.46 here on SENZ. By brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And just reminding everybody that we will have the All Black Naming live here on SENZ uh, at midday. Uh, and Ricardo Ball will do, take you through all the details that throughout the afternoon. Yep, Ian Foster's first aside coming up uh, against the Test against Ireland. We'll find out about that just uh, around midday this afternoon here. Uh, and we'll find out more from uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, and from the TAB as well very shortly. Uh, it is just uh, time for Louis Herman Watt. I think we've uh, finally got him on the line. Louis, good morning to you. You're racing highlight over the weekend, and what are we going to look forward to this weekend, mate? Um, racing highlight over the weekend. What would it have been? I'll tell you what, sharp and smart Rogers, two-year-old, ran a pretty big race in the mm. uh, JJ Atkins. But I don't know, was it Nav third in the end or fourth? But it was right there, and I know he's got wraps on it, like Cox Plate type of three-year-old. Um, so, you know, he's done it before. He lost to dream, Rogie, and maybe he's got the horse to do it, but uh, there were lots of highlights. A good day up at Ruakaka. Um, plays a mean pinball, almost got a $30 shot that Matty Cross tipped out on Saturday morning, but that ran a, a nice second. Cake by the Ocean looks like a real nice wet tracker, so I'd be looking for that to go through the grades. Um, and, yeah, tight line for Stephen Marsh. It looked like the bit of the day in the open handicap sprint, and with the claimer off, 4kgs off, too smart for them. So this weekend they are hopefully back at Trentham Smithy. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of water around the country. What's it? What's uh, Hawks Bay been like? I don't know when Hastings next meeting is, but it is wet everywhere and cold. Well, it's very it's very wet here uh, today. It's horrible. It's freezing cold. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the whole country is. Uh, is engulfed in this at the moment, uh, Louis. I, I noticed you're down in the deep, uh, in the middle of the deep south, in, in Christchurch. So we'll we'll leave you to it. And uh, I know you've got plenty on your agenda. So we'll talk again tomorrow. Uh, Paul Moati from the TAB joins us uh, right now. Our uh, Paul, uh, I just had a look at the market for this weekend. The Blues dollar eighty. The Crusaders a dollar ninety two outsiders just. Yeah, but we opened them up at $2.05 the Crusaders and got smashed instantly by those Crusaders punters. So as you say, they're now into $1.92 and the Blues out to $1.80. Uh, we've had a number, of, uh, uh, quite a bit of action uh, during the season on both of these teams. So they have been very well back to win the Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, also, looking towards England uh, and the action in the second test between England and the Black Caps, I can tell you, uh, England currently $3.50. We've had a $1,500 bet on England at $6.30, uh, and they were out to a top price of $22. So those who got 22 on England uh, are sitting fairly pretty, because we know bads can be quite aggressive, and I'm sure they could probably knock off that 80-run deficit in the first session tomorrow, um, tonight, uh, and then give... Uh, the Black Caps a bit of a target to chase. So England at three fifty have been well back. The draw is currently a dollar thirty five. Had a four thousand dollar bet on the draw at two dollars and sixty cents, and a two thousand dollar bet on the draw at five dollars and thirty. Intriguing, intriguing. The possibility of a result still in this Test match uh, uh, that excites me. Uh, yep. Thanks very much, Paul, for that. Um, wow. I like the dollar. I like the dollar ninety two two for the Crusaders. I must say.
Uh, league. League after the break, of course, Monday morning, our review with Andrew Voss. In the meantime, it's uh, news time. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Egan, Johnson, overlap, out to Watani! Zalesniak has got airborne! Oh my goodness! Yep. Oh my goodness! Oh yes! Oh yes! That is so good! Up at the bistro there, they're raising a glass to that. The Redcliffe League <laughs> Club has erupted. Andrew Voss here with some of his classic commentary over the weekend. Busy man, he is calling uh, multiple games, of course. The Warriors wrapped up a tumultuous, crazy sort of a week around the club by running onto the field at Redcliffe with a new interim head coach in charge. The little general, of course, comes in. Out goes Nathan Brown. And uh, after uh, a 12-0 scoreline, it looked like that Stacey had worked the oracle. However, the good feeling didn't last long. The mistakes again crept in. The defensive line folded. Five tries in 25 minutes saw the Sharks to victors 38-16. to And Vossi actually calling that game, as we've just heard. Uh, they fa- they uh, flattered to deceive us again. 12-0 Vossi, and we thought that Stacey had done it. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. And that, um, that try by Wateni Zalesniak, you are talking highlights in the game. Also, one of the highlights of the season, really, the put-down. But, you know, what do you take out of that? And there were fleeting moments of, of, of other, you know, really good stuff by the Warriors. The start again was solid. The start to the second half was solid. But let's be honest, I mean, how can Stacey wheel a, you know, wield a wand over the side in a matter of days? Good sides do not concede five tries on the bounce, do they? They, don't, they just don't concede five tries in a row, as the Warriors did. I mean, the Warriors concede their first try. They're still in front, and Adam Pompey puts the kickoff out on the full. You know, wh- how can this happen? Why do these mistakes happen? The completion rate was great last night from the Warriors. I think they might have finished around 85%. But the handful of mistakes they make are inside their own half, and there's no resilience after a mistake. It is just so apparent with his side that whatever Stacey Jones has to do, he has to find a way to achieve resilience with this team that they can defend a mistake the same way the Cowboys have found it. You know, they've obviously trained harder um, and smarter because the Warriors don't have it. The players individually have talent. You know, and I'm sure you know, the players individually, they're trying, but they have to find that resilience as a defence to defend the errors that they make. Because by the numbers last night in some key areas... The Warriors weren't that bad, yet they, you know, they've, they've ended up conceding eight tries. Well, that just shouldn't happen. Should not happen. From the outside looking in, uh, one of the things that concerned a lot of fans over here was the, the impression that at times they just don't want to be out there. They don't want to play for their coach. You know, they, they just don't want to be on the park. Did you see evidence of that uh, or did a change in attitude at all in that, in that, uh, yeah. that performance? Look, watching it live last night, and we're there at Redcliffe, we're close up, you know, good stadium to watch them from close up, and, and, and I had the expertise of Greg Alexander with me in the commentary box, and we obviously chatted about the performance post-game. There was effort. There, there, there was effort there last. It, it, it wasn't one of those performances. If I was to compare it with a game that was on earlier, Newcastle and, uh, and Penrith, I could accuse Newcastle of a bit of white flag stuff, but I couldn't the Warriors last night, but... There's, it's not particularly smart. I, look, I get down in the opponent's 20. You know, too many times you're let down by sets of six when you think there should have been a little more offered by the Warriors. There's just so many areas that I think watching a Warriors game back at the video review session would be painful. 
And, you know, because you, you, you'd think, well, gee, what's our first 10 minutes? It's going well. Mm. You know, the, 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 and then the kick-off out in the fall, and then other moments of the match. It's just, it's just all over the place. So there's no consistency across 80 minutes of football. There's no consistency across 20 minutes of football at the moment. So there's, there's, it's such a big job for Stacey Jones to attack you know, this is not going to be a quick fix for the style of play that the Warriors find themselves in at the moment. Um, it's going to need some shock treatment, to be quite honest. And, I, and you know, that would include an entire off-season of, of, of addressing things and, and training and all the rest as well. I don't have the answers. I'm not smart enough. But when I speak with people like Greg Alexander and Matty Johns and Cameron Smith over here, they throw a lot of things into the melting pot. And, and Stacey Jones probably needs to work through the order of he needs to attack things in this, you know, short period of time. Reese Walsh uh, probably epitomises the whole deal, doesn't he? Really, I mean, yeah, he does. Yeah. He scores the yeah. opening. Uh, he scores the opening try, and then all of a sudden, something else. Reese Walsh's effort is a hundred percent, a hundred percent. If you know what I'm saying, you know, there's no doubt. Mm. You watch the game; he is trying his heart out. He tries and does things at high speed. But the inconsistencies in his game as well can also put pressure on teammates. And there are some bizarre moments. That that bullet-like pass on his own goal line. Now, you can all appreciate having a crack, but I don't know whether I'm throwing a pass at that velocity above head height to a teammate in front of my own goal line. Like, it's just, you know, that's heart attack stuff. So his game is inconsistent, but certainly no one tried harder for the Warriors last night than Reese Walsh, and he's still a kid. He, he's still a rookie. So, you know, that same effort needs to be across the board. Right, let's uh, avoid the Warriors for a while and talk about more pleasant things, uh, shall we? Perhaps starting with uh, the way that Alex Johnson just uh, loves scoring tries mm. for the Rabbitohs. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, what a great story, too, from, uh, you know, a foundation club. That a couple of years out of the game, of course, South Sydney, um, early 2000s. But, you know, Alex Johnston now has the club record number of tries. He's now chasing the Holy Grail, which is... Ken Irvine's record of tries. He's the only man that's ever scored more than 200 in first grade rugby league. And, and Alex is still a young man. So on, on this current average, he's, he's not going to just hit the 200. He's going to break the greatest record of all. And, you know, he's local junior. So it's a, it's a brilliant story. It does show you, not so long ago, it's not that he was on the way out of it. There was certainly an indication he wasn't going to be kept by the Rabbitohs. You know, it was touch and go. And, and they've, they've kept him and, yeah, there are kids running around on parks. It's the influence. There are kids running around, I'm sure, in the South Sydney district who want to be just like Alex Johnston. And that, you know, that's what we do with mm. rugby league with our, with our stars. We, you know, others look up to them. And I'm sure there's plenty that aspire to be just like Alex. Incredibly good run for the Cowboys. Uh, they're playing some great footy this year, but it came at a cost at the weekend. They're beating the Dragons 31-12, but... Uh, lost Hylam uh, Lukey by the look of it for the season with an ACL injury, uh, but Todd Payton must be thrilled with the way they're tracking. Yeah, oh, the loss of young Lukey, and let's hope that you know the recovery goes according to plan. Huge setback for him, and indeed for the Warriors because he was a permanent part of the seventeen, and they got this great batch of, of players coming through. Um, look, I just love the mantra of the Warriors. I, this saying of Todd Payton, I may have said it to you before, that he just said, "I wanted to make the Cowboys be comfortable." being uncomfortable like isn't that isn't that sort of in some ways what we're talking about earlier with the Warriors that is the definition mm -hmm. of resilience to to get that resilience that has to be your mantra be you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable so Todd Payton in the offseason and that's why I'm saying Stacey if he is to be the coach going forward well he'd need an offseason to change 
parts of the game. There's, there's things he can, he can change tactically straight away, but things that are ingrained in the thinking of the players, well, Todd Payton's obviously done that in the off-season and put them in some pretty uncomfortable positions with their training and really, you know, taken them over the edge almost. Um, but the results are there to see, and the Broncos have done the same, Smithy. You know, it was said there, mm. was, some, there was some complaints coming out of the Broncos in the off-season. Kebby's working them too hard. Well, <laughs> proof's in the pudding at the moment. I think Kebby pulled the right rein with his team. Mm. He certainly has. 24-18 over the Canberra Raiders at the weekend. And uh, still having injury woes as well with uh, Payne Haas, Adam Reynolds and Herbie oh. Farnworth uh, all sidelined. Plus, of course, resting a couple of Origin players. He has built a squad, there's no doubt about it. Well, they, they ended up with six or seven in the casualty ward, to be quite mm. honest. Um, you know, on a, on, a, on a night where you don't have so many, the, the injuries they suffered, probably they all finished off the field, but they had to stay on because they were down um, so many troops. Um, Ezra Mam is a revelation. You know, th- this is what you need in those big years. And... I'll give a bit of Warriors history into the story here, and I'm not saying the Broncos are going to make the grand final by any stretch, but way back in, what, 2011, you know, Sean Johnson appears on the scene. At the start of the year, you haven't got Sean Johnson in your um, premiership calculations, you know, as part of the story of the Warriors. But he comes in the first grade, he cements his spot, and before you know it, what, game 15, 16, he's playing a grand final and a key component of it. I see an Ezra Mam at the Broncos. I see a player who will not be out of first grade now. I mean, I think he has found his way into that team. He's got the guile and experience of Adam Reynolds to lean on. Um, great spot to be in. The Broncos have had awful troubles with their six and seven the last few years. They, they did say didn't know what their best six and seven is. I have now seen the Broncos' best six and seven, and that is Reynolds, obviously, in seven. And Ezra Mam is at six to stay, or in the halves. If Reynolds out, he's the number seven. Mam is... It's a terrific talent, a terrific playmaking talent, and he's going to be a real asset to Brisbane. If Stacey Jones wants to make a phone call to someone perhaps uh, feeling a bit the same as him, you might want to call Brett Kamali, of course, uh, taking over the West Tigers. Uh, 30 to 4, uh, a loss there, uh, and including a, well, almost a, an historic sending off. I don't think West have had a player sent off for going two decades, and all of a sudden, yeah. Brett Naden gets his order. Yeah, no, no one's arguing about the send-off either, are they? It was clear-cut send-off Brent Naden. Uh, Corey Pearson was the last player sent-off for the for the trivia buffs. But, mate, you could have a Zoom call at the moment between coaches, couldn't you? The, the bottom five teams, uh, it's a real worry. Um, the, the bottom five is a clear bottom five at the moment. And three of those clubs have sacked their coaches. <laughs> and the other two, Justin Holbrook and Adam O'Brien, you reckon they're sleeping well? You know, we, we potentially, and I don't wish ill of, of Justin Holbrook or Adam O'Brien, but so ruthless is the coaching caper. We could have five teams, the bottom five, all changing their coaches during the season. And I don't know whether any of them are going to be better off. I don't see how, you know, I don't really know how it's good business. And, and then the other angle to the story, the coaches that are then under consideration, with the exception of Cameron Seraldo, have all been dare I say, have all been sacked previously. <laughs> there is nothing but sacked coaches to pick from. Such is the job we have. Mm-hmm. They're all sacked. So you, you sacked a coach to then look at hiring another sacked coach, and you do it pre-season. If five coaches go mid-season this year, that is $4 million in payouts, give or take a few hundred thousand dollars. How is that good business? It's just down the toilet. Money, money you got to pay out coaches to replace them with other sacked coaches. 
Uh, at a, at the contra- I'll get onto contracts and NRL uh, on another day, Vossi, because it seems to me there's some pretty good deals coming around for for certain players or, or coaches that actually can just move on and be very wealthy because they're moving on to the next thing. It's incredible. Anyway, let's uh, keep uh, talking about uh, games over the weekend, and in particular the Panthers, who were just amazing again. 42 yeah. points they racked up over Newcastle. Who was standing out there for the Panthers? Oh, well, I thought their left and right side was good, but, um, you know, Kickout's having a great season. Boy, oh boy, he, he's taken his game to another level, and that's despite the fact that he's on his way out of the club at the end of the season. Um, the fact that, again, you look at young players that have come in, Isaac Tago, Taylor May, I mean, they, they, they make every team in the NRL now. Well, they, they've barely played first grade before this season started, so Penrith have got all things lined up at the moment. I'll, I'll say it again, and I may have said it the last couple of weeks. It's, the competition is theirs to lose. Because if Penrith play well, I don't think Melbourne beat them. And then the teams below Melbourne are not at the quality of Melbourne. So how are they going to beat them? They might, they might beat them on a, on a one-off day. You know, if they played 10 times, Parramatta's going to beat Penrith occasionally. But, I, but what I'm seeing from teams like the Roosters and Manly, I don't think they can beat Penrith at their best. Penrith at their best, they win this competition, Smithy. And you know, they, they just put sides to the sword. They, they beat them in the first half. You know, they, they get in front and they mm. can't be chased down and that was a trade of Melbourne at their best over the last, you know, five, six years or decade, really. Penrith have now got the same aura about them as Melbourne at their best. Nice little story uh, around uh, the Melbourne Storm at the weekend with Grant Anderson making his NRL debut mm. in front of uh, friends and family at the SCG, uh, scoring a couple of tries in the process. Yeah, I, I love, you know, there's a few things, and again, I was at the SCG for that game, and you observe... Yeah, things from high up that perhaps aren't being seen by those in the lounge room because we might be on a tight shot of the play, you know, a close-up shot. But I love that the other players in the team appreciate the, you know, how big the moment was with his try. They all celebrated like he was one of the family, and I guess as in the team. But they would not know this guy all that well. He's done a bit of training with them, but he's based out of Queensland because their feeder team is the Sunshine Coast Falcons. So he spends far more time up there than than with the storm, but the way they celebrated, boy, oh boy, he, he's lived out a dream um, on Saturday night and then doubles up, you know, gets a couple of tries, he's involved in some big plays on the night. Um, that, that's, that's inspirational in itself too. It comes from Newcastle, gone via Northern Pride and the Sunshine Coast Falcons to play for Melbourne, to be in the NRL. His first game is at the traditional home of the game in Australia, the SCG. You know, that, that's big. That's really big, Smitty. Mm-hmm. It is big. I uh, had some bad moments there myself. Don't worry about that. Uh, Vossi, <laughs> round, round 14. Round 14 comes to a close tonight with uh, the Bulldogs taking on the Eels. We have the Eels with about a, what, 15.5-point start over here. Um, so uh, that, is that the way you see it going? Yeah, well, the best I could hope for for Bulldogs fans listening is that your team is tenacious today, but how could you possibly tip them? I mean, I, I you know, it's been the same for a number of years. No matter who's coaching them, and we've had a few... Yeah, I don't really see more than two, three tries, absolute max, that the Bulldogs are capable of scoring. So, you know, is two tries, would two tries be enough to beat Parramatta? I probably don't think so. Um, I'm hearing to beat a Penn guy back today, but, you know, he's of questionable form. Is that a boost or not? You tell me. Um, you know, if he plays mm. his best, of course it's a boost, but I haven't seen enough good things from Penn guy uh, junior this year. Um, Parramatta, you know, if they want to be a Penrith, if they want to be a Melbourne, they have to sweep aside 
teams like the Bulldogs, um, which the Roosters didn't do a number of weeks back. So Parramatta, to stay up with the leading teams, need to win. And, on, and dare I say, they need to put the Bulldogs to the sword today and win well. OK, Fossey, thank you very much for your review of uh, what happened over the weekend. We look forward to that one uh, tonight between the Bulldogs and the Eels to wrap up round 14. Thank you, sir. As always, enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, thank you, Smithy. And some words of wisdom to finish. If you're a parent, get your kids, not a tennis racket, not a golf club, not a rugby union ball or league ball, get them a golf bag and teach them to be a caddy. Because Charles Swartzel's caddy over the weekend got paid $457,000 US for three days' work. Thank you. Be a golf caddy. Goodbye. And there you have it from the wise old owl, Andrew Voss, coming into us from uh, our brother network uh, in Australia. He's got a breakfast show there with Andrew, uh, with, with uh, Brandy Alexander, of course, uh, and they uh, cover league off as much as, as well as other sports as well, um, with authority. Not a bad deal, is it? Uh, and only carrying it for 54 holes too, Vossie. That's the other point. Only 54 holes to make 450000 Wow, that's a lot of money. Cheers. <laughs> 11.20 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yep, well, amongst all the rugby, of course, in the rugby league over the weekend uh, and the netball, of course, there is a little matter of a cricket test being played at Trent Bridge in Nottingham. Uh, New Zealand 553 in 145.3 overs. Um, and uh, in reply, England in just 114 overs, 473 for five. So 80 is the difference. Uh, yesterday was just another batting blitz. Folks, looking to pull, does so. Out towards deep square leg, and it's carried and dropped. Well, another opportunity goes begging. You're joking. Out in the deep. Root flicks through mid-wicket. That's a wonderful shot. It'll bring up his 150, an absolutely terrific shot. He moved across his stumps, down the wicket as well. Flipped in the gap through mid-wicket. He raises his bat, he shakes hands with folks. Raises his bat to the crowd, looks all around. Southies into route. He drives, oh. perfect. On drive, straight drive, a brilliant shot. I mean, this is batting of the absolutely highest quality. Trent Bolt bowls and beats the outside edge. It's another beauty. Change that angle, almost gets folks. Final all of the day, 473 for five. And how richly entertained we have been here on SENZ. Trent Bridge, the stage for a run fest, but also enough for the bowlers to keep it interesting. There have been chances created, some taken, plenty missed. And at the heart of it all, once again, the former England captain Joe Root who continues to look like the leading player in the world game. Credit too to Wally Pope who played magnificently well for his first test century. We've seen 383 runs in the day, four wickets, a run rate of close to five and over as we've gone through it. It has been magnificent entertainment. Yep, England are on a roll aren't they? Even though New Zealand uh, still have more runs on the board, you get the feeling when the crowd in the background there uh, that England are starting to believe already in this new hierarchy and this new team that they've got. Southie none for 119, Henry one for 128, Jameson injured none for 66, Michael Bracewell on debut one for 48. Not a day to be a bowler, although Trent Bolt did pick up three for 89. Here is his thoughts. Yeah, a solid day's test cricket is probably how I'd uh, describe that day. Um, I thought credit to England, they, they played extremely well. Um, you know, the learnings from our batting innings was 
it's a decent service. Um, yeah, the boundaries seem to flow throughout our innings, so um, yeah, we're expecting them to come out and play like they did, and um, yeah, um, a lot of credit is due to the way that they've advanced this game. Oh, he's a good player. Um, yeah, no, he's uh, he's good to watch. Uh, obviously, it's a challenge to bowl to him, but um, no, he's playing extremely well. Does it feel like all all three results still on the table? And if so, is that is that how you like it? a test match to be looking? Uh, I think it's hard not to look too far forward, but um, yeah, definitely all three results are still on the on the cards. Um, I hadn't played at Trent Bridge before. Um, I'd heard rumours it was a good wicket, and I can confirm that is true. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think hopefully uh, the wicket looks to deteriorate, maybe uh, a little bit up and down. Hey, if we don't let them get too far ahead of us um, and look to set them something on the last day, I think it's uh, it is achievable. But there's still a lot of hard nutting to be done uh, first session tomorrow. Hard nutting, meaning hard bowling and uh, hard work as, as well in the park by New Zealand. They need wickets. If they don't get wickets early, they're looking at conceding a deficit and uh, England would like to perhaps get, uh, if they could, um, maybe 60 or 70 in front, so another 140 runs. If they do that, uh, the possibility of Anderson and Broad doing some magic, it's Broad's home ground just by the by, uh, doing some magic with the new ball and then the possibility perhaps of, of Leach coming in if that... Uh, Trent Bolt is true in saying that the, the pitch is wearing a wee bit, then Jack Leach might be a factor there. So it will be New Zealand who are under pressure. Possibility of New Zealand scoring enough to get England out again. Uh, very, very minimal on the basis that they'll be running out of time to do that. Uh, so And I don't think they'll be giving them any sort of generosity in terms of a declaration, even though they're 1-0 down in the series. So uh, very interesting uh, first session. We'll often say that about cricket, but... A lot of what could happen in the match will unfold there. Already there has been some decent bets on England to win this Test match uh, and people saying that New Zealand have absolutely no chance of winning themselves. But you do. Uh, you have a chance of winning because you can call 0800 150 811 right now and have a chance uh, to winning 50 bucks worth of uh, vouchers from the TAB and, of course, some sleep drops as well to start your week off in the best possible fashion. Meanwhile, here's the news with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, it's really good to have Smithy back in the hot seat. After we had we had uh, Daniel McCarty on Friday, he may have fumbled a few balls there, Smithy. But we know you're back there with your experience and your wicket keeping gloves. Up for grabs today is fifty dollars uh, worth of TAB bonus bets from TAB plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. Try they are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Smithy joining us first at the crease. Out of beautiful Nelson, I, I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of the country. Perhaps it's looking good. Who knows? Jamie, come in. G'day, boys. How are you? Yeah, good, Jamie. Are you copying it like the rest of the country, or is Nelson just living up to its name? No, mate, it's teaming down. I'm just pulled over the side of the road in my car. I can hardly hear you. The rain's coming down so hard. So. <laughs> oh, well, at least you'll be able to hear the questions coming at you now, Jamie. And the subjects today are from our producer, Logan Swinkles. What have you decided on, sir? They are soccer, football, golf, or the All Blacks. Take your pick, Jamie. I'll go the All Blacks. Nice. It's uh, very topical with the team naming happening today at midday. We've got that live here on SCNZ. Thanks to uh, Afternoons with 
Ricardo Ball today. First question for you, Jamie. How many total players have put on their black jersey and earned their cap? Oh, cheapers. <laughs> total stab in the dark, 2,048. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not quite in the twos yet, Smithy. Uh, over no, to you. No, no, I know they're not in the twos because I remember when uh, All Black number 1000 ran onto the field and I've got a feeling that was Carl Heyman um, and I was uh, working on the sideline that day so him and Mark Ramby ran on about the same time but Heyman was first alphabetically so I think he became All Black number 1000. That was a long time ago, a long time ago and they do have big squads these days. I'm going to say we're up to around about the 1400s, uh, 1476, our frequency number in Auckland. <laughs> One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Love that you are weaving things in so perfectly today. It's awesome. No, the correct answer is 1199. So someone in this squad uh, named will potentially be 1200. How cool would that be? You're still alive, Jamie. Next question. Which Wallaby has the most appearances against the All Blacks? Uh, be someone like Hooper? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Uh, Hooper's always around. He's a good guess. Smithy, over to you. Yeah. He might be the most losing captain. Uh, (laughs) I think he'd probably win that one. Here we go. Uh, We'll try. uh, There's two names come to mind here. George Gregan and George Smith. One of the two Georges. So... Uh, both Brumbies, of course. I'm going to go George Gregan. I think he's the most capped Wallaby. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. The right. the correct answer with 32 matches, Adam Ashley Cooper. Oh, wow, another Brumby. There you go. Ooh, he was, was he a Brumby or a Waratah? Oh, either. either. Either or. Maybe both. Okay, question three. Waratah. Yeah, you're still alive, Jamie. Waratah, still up for yeah. grabs. Is fifty dollars from the TAB and the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. On this day in two thousand and nine, the All Blacks played France at Carisbrook. Who was the All Blacks captain that day? Two thousand nine. Um, the two. I think it was Mills Moina. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, mate, you got it. It was Millsy. Yeah, it wasn't, you get wasn't that? too successful in that series. I remember uh, watching it at a, at a barbecue at a mate's place, and uh, yeah, stuck him on. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. And he didn't, he didn't no good for him, but plenty good for you, mate. Congratulations. You're our winner. Stay on the line. Uh, and Brian will get your details. We'll get those uh, prizes available to you as soon as we possibly can. Very interesting, eh? Mills Mulyaina. I might have drunk quite a few sherbets before I got that one right myself, and yet I was probably at the game. That's how silly and old I'm getting. It's 11.37 here on SENZ. Jamie the winner here, but there'll be some winners just uh, around midday today with All Blacks being named left, right and centre in Ian, Foster, Ian Foster's first squad. We're going to have that for you live, and that's around 20 minutes away. Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
11.43, 17 minutes away from uh, All Black uh, team number one for this calendar year, 2022. Ian Foster will be announcing his squad to play against uh, Ireland coming up in three test matches. Really looking forward to those. Uh, so we'll have that for you live here on SENZ. Uh, apologies, uh, this is from Josh. No need to apologise if you have talked about it today. But are we excited or getting excited for Wednesday morning, 6am in Qatar? I'm not a football fan in general, but surely the All Whites should be dominating the conversation this week. Biggest game in New Zealand sport this year, easily, in my opinion. Totally agree, Josh. Uh, we had a bit of a review, Dave, of uh, what happened in the rugby, etc., of course, and looking forward to the All Blacks and, of course, uh, Stacey Jones' first game in control. But tomorrow we will be focusing on some football, uh, without doubt, uh, looking to have uh, a former uh, All-White squad member out of the 2010 team, actually. I think it may well be David Mulligan calling to, uh, from Brisbane. So we're, we shall be talking to him about his experiences back then and our chances, um, amongst other things as well. So there will be a focus, no doubt about it, uh, Josh, uh, over the All-White's massive game. Incredibly, as you say, uh, we don't, uh, we haven't, and we are guilty of that, haven't given it due consideration when you consider the magnitude of it, to be fair, on the world stage, not just New Zealand football stage. So we'll take a slap over the wrist, Josh, for that, but we will have it tomorrow. Don't worry about that. Um, and also, uh, Carlos, thanks very much. Yes, reminding us that Lydia Coe finished fourth overnight in the latest LPGA event. She had a chance of winning. I think she was three behind. She got to within two but couldn't close the gap. So uh, Lydia Coe unable to win, but uh, we weren't ignoring that, uh, Carlos, so I can tell you that. Uh, in fact, we, we have a really big interest in golf on the show as well. So Lydia, yep, um, not um, able to get the big bickies, but Brooke Henderson from Canada managing to win that P, uh, LPGA event. Uh, Jared says, morning Smithy, not a great watch for the Black Caps. Our bowling attack yet again exposed. Can't believe no Wagner again. Didn't we learn from the first test as a point of difference We when we needed a change? Spinning options seem redundant. I know the wicket was a road, but we lacked options. Jared, I think you're right. Your observations here, I think a lot of people were calling for Neil Wagner to be in the side prior to this test match, so it's not a case of observing it after the event. Uh, he certainly, uh, for me, would have been a factor because he just does something different. Brendan McCullum, I'm sure, would have been preparing for Neil Wagner at some stage in the series. He knows his game well, he knows his attitude well, he knows perhaps a way to uh, to resist Neil Wagner, uh, perhaps that other people around the world have not been able to do. So th- that'll be interesting in its, uh, its own self, really, if, if Wags does get a go in the third test, of course, at Headingley. Uh, Giggs says, hey, Smithy, who's your pick for the final? Won't make a lot of friends here up north, but I think the Crusaders will do it. On what I saw the other night, the Blues are going to have to be at their imaginary best to break that defensive line-up down over a period of time in a grand final. Eden Park, of course, in the Blues' favour. Uh, not many sides go there and win. Crusaders can. That is uh, just what I think about it. Um, Craig says, I can imagine the cries coming out from Australia about the cheating New Zealand teams, and after watching both games over the weekends, it's hard to dis- disagree. Every time the Brumbies got in the 22 the Blues would give away a professional penalty, which is what the Crusaders mastered many moons ago, and still get away with. Cullen Grace will establish himself as the next AB's number eight, and I am far from a Crusaders fan, but this lad is class. Craig, interesting. Um, go the Eels, as uh, this one's signed off here. Doesn't give a name, but uh, does say Smithy. The wife suggested we go to the final on Saturday at Eden Park. I told her, why would we go to a game that is only in play for 20 minutes? Boring is an understatement. 
The worst send-off for the Blues had to be the poor guy in the last 10 minutes, tackled a Brumby, his arms around his chest, and they banged heads. I didn't know the ref could work out that that was a Blues player fault. The game is boring. Give me a game that flows for the majority of the time, and then I will attend. It is 11.47 here on SENZ. We'll have Ricardo Ball in the studio very shortly. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.